Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, my David and Kieran Murphy here. Hello there, all. Hi, Kieran. Our Monday World Cup show is already available, so if you want lots of cane, a sprinkling of messy chat and a large dollop of Dion Fanning and John Bruin on England, do have a listen to that once you finish up this programme. Or you can pause this one right now. Go listen to that one, as long as you promise to come back to... Myself and Murphy. Why not listen to the two of them simultaneously? <laughs> that would be annoying. If you have uh, two iPhones, put one <laughs> earphone into each ear and have just uh, coming at you from... Uh, it's a, uh, Basically, a second captain's assault. Uh, I mean, something for you to try. We'll have a little bit of World Cup in here too, as Shane Horgan is our Argentinian correspondent on the ground in Buenos Aires where he watched with ecstatic locals as Leo Messi lifted the weight from his own shoulders, maybe by the from the nation's shoulders by scoring against Bosnia last night. No doubt about that goal, Murph. Not much doubt about Karim Benzema's first goal for France last night, except in the mind of BBC commentator Jonathan Pearce, who was flummoxed by the fact that the goal line technology was employed twice mm. in the same move. It was, it was quite clear, I think most viewers thought, that once the first... Hit the inside of the post. Hit, hit the post. So straight away, the technology is activated and the graphic is shown on the big screen because that's the debate about whether it's gone over the line. And then it rolls across, hits the goalkeeper, goes over the line, and the second time it shows goal. The first time it said no goal, and the second one was a separate incident, which said goal, which indicated there was a goal. At that point, Jonathan Pierce completely lost it, thinking, I don't know what exactly he was thinking, but he was the only man who seemed confused by the whole thing. I thought the guy was fairly harshly treated, maybe on social media. Only well. Phil Neville... Only Phil Neville has had to endure a tougher time for his performance in co-commentary for the England-Italy game. Yeah, he was... He, well, I mean, I actually put, made reference to a point that Phil Neville made during the course of his co-commentary in our World Cup football show, mm-hmm. uh, which I actually thought was a very good point. But everything else he said was said in the sort of tone... He has come out... He was interviewed today and asked about how terrible he was. And uh, he basically said, well, I'm, I'm glad I helped everyone go to sleep. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, refreshing honesty from the lad. But at the same time, you know, it's... Yeah, like he was terrible. No, it, it was it it's was his tone of voice. Though, it was his monotone. Yeah, he, he absolute monotone throughout. And I agree with you. I think he made some decent points. He he was 
quite quick to notice that Leighton Baines was struggling to communicate with Rooney as to where Rooney should be and picking up their attacks down the right-hand side, down the Italian right-hand side. The point you had referenced, the point, as you said, in the first show, which you found interesting. So I think what he said, the content maybe wasn't too bad, but it was full-on flat monotone. And the issue I would have here is why the BBC gave Phil Neville the England-Italy game as his in the World Cup as his first ever live co-commentary match. Yeah. You can't just walk into these things. I think everyone's, even former footballers, a lot of them do a lot more work now than might have been the case 10, 20 years ago in terms of getting to the pitch of these things and training. And maybe he did do some training, but you can only learn on the job. It was a strange one to throw Neville into. So yeah. let's not be too hard. Asking- and, and, and he's reacted very, uh, very graciously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot, I suppose, you can say it when whatever it is, 500 pe- 445 complaints to the BBC be just because you're not very good at your job that you've just started. It's quite I mean, an old-fashioned way of doing it, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to complain directly to the BBC here. <laughs> you can just see 445 people sort of licking the top of their pencils saying, right, <laughs> take, take a memo, dear. I'm uh, writing to the BBC. John Gardner will join Benny Dunn to talk about Cork's demolition of Clare. I'm going to call it a demolition, even though they didn't necessarily hammer them on the scoreboard. I've already had to eat humble pie, Murph, over my prediction that Spain would win the World Cup. Yeah, so. Going to reference this. Didn't you predict a clear Ireland hurling final victory? Hang on, I was about to blow my own trumpet here. Oh, okay. Come and Claire could still win the All Ireland, so let's not write okay, that one okay, off just okay, yet. Okay, okay. As soon as the new rules came into effect regarding the freeze and penalties in hurling yeah. earlier in the week or last week, I pointed out this may lead to more inventive penalties, players manipulating the ball, applying some spin. Imagine my delight when I saw Patrick Horgan step up. I thought it was Roger Federer up there hitting a forehand, to be honest, to that first free. Just top spin, side spin, looping in, pace. All those things, absolutely. Delighted. And he followed up in the second half. There was a little less topspin in the second one. I think it was more a Rafael Nadal-style crushed backhand. Mm, mm. But either way, I just... Essentially, I watch sports at, sport at weekends now, hoping to find some small moment that proves an argument that I've made during the week on the show. <laughs> on the weekend where your tip for the World Cup were hammered and your tip for the Ireland hurling final were hammered, you still <laughs> managed to come out thinking, you know, that's, yeah... I've really, I've, re- I've, I'm like a sporting Nostradamus in many ways. That's uh, impressive self confidence for me there, on. I well, we're going to talk to Anthony Moyes later on, Murph. I don't know if you agree that there is a concept. Well, there certainly is a concept, but whether you agree that the idea of a bogey team mm. is something. I just have to ask that question, bogey team. Yeah, it's almost too ridiculous to ask. But this, we saw Monaghan beating Tyrone, sure, beating their bogey team. But despite being the far better side, only scraping over the line, mm. just about hanging on for dear life at the end. In fact, relying on a missed free by Tyrone's goalkeeper to get over the line. That can only be because Tyrone are their bogey team. They hadn't beaten them since 88. Yeah, well, the, the strange thing that I thought was immediately after the game, even before the game, everyone was talking about the Monaghan players, the Monaghan management were talking about this bogey team. I mean, they're the Ulster champions. They won the tournament. Monaghan are, yeah. Monaghan are the Ulster champions. I mean, they, they, the idea that... Uh, Tyrone could still have some sort of psychological hold over them. You know, I mean, Monaghan went and beat Donegal, who were seen as unbeatable this time last year, or near enough. Um, so you would have thought that that would be enough to, to sort of, uh, you know, gild their confidence in some way. But yeah, it's weird. I mean, I think if 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 um, if enough people talk about it, then maybe it enters into the psyche of the players, and then sort of, you know, it nearly creeps into. The, the thinking or you know the the build up to the game it's one of the things that people keep mm. saying you know in the same way that they would keep saying right well you've got to mind Toronto's danger men or you know Monaghan have an excellent defence I mean if one of the things that ke- one of the tropes that keeps being said in the build up to a ga- uh, the week of a game is well Monaghan hate Toronto 
like can't play against them. You know, just to, for whatever reason. You know, Tyrone have a priest in Tyrone cast some sort of you know wicked spell over the Monaghan footballers in 1988 or something. I mean, if if that's said enough, then maybe it, maybe it does have an impact. It's quite it's an interesting topic to try and come at. In many of those years, I would say Tyrone were just better. Yeah. In more recent years, maybe up to 2010. 2010 was the one year where Monaghan just thought they had a better team and would actually top them and didn't manage to get it done. But we'll cover all that a little bit later on. Delighted right now to be joined by Cork legend John Gardner and former tip captain Benny Dunn, who is in studio. Benny, thanks for calling in. No bother on. I'm going to start off with a tweet by Shane Lowry, uh, if that's okay. I don't understand why pundits say the team was hungrier. Surely both teams want to win as much as the other. Now, we've discussed this hunger issue with Jason Sherlock in uh, Gaelic Football Chat a couple of weeks ago, but um, I want to ask you, were Cork the hungrier team? Without a shadow of a doubt, Owen. Um, I was in Temple Stadium yesterday, and absolutely cracking day at the office. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, but without a shadow of a doubt, Cork showed up with a bigger hunger yesterday. Um, I think Davy Fitz alluded to it after the game as well, he felt that his team were, were flattered. They weren't as zippy as they were, I suppose, at the end of last year. And without a shadow of a doubt, being there yesterday, you could really see that for yourself. Cork, I think, benefit big time from the two matches against Watford initially. Um, and they used that to their advantage yesterday against Clare, who I felt were a bit cold coming in. Um, Cork were really, really up for it, without a shadow of a doubt. And it really started from the throw-in. Uh, first ball dropped on top of Aidan Walsh. And I mean, he went to the clouds for that ball. <laughs> and uh, I think that really set the tone for the day for Cork. Jason's point when we were chatting about it was that sometimes it can look like a team is flat. It can look like a team is struggling for whatever reason. But often that's down to the fact that they're being outfoxed tactically. The other team have better systems in place. It's not necessarily that they go out there not wanting to win as much as the other team, but you feel there was a difference in, in desire levels. Absolutely, and like that can happen for whatever reason. It's very hard to put your finger on it or, or you know, or to nail it. But without a shadow of a doubt, uh, Clare were off the pace yesterday for whatever reason. I mean, it could have been down to you know some sessions they did in in recent weeks. You don't know. Cork were definitely hungrier for it, and like. Let's be fair, clear All-Ireland champions. Cork were hurt after that last year after losing out to replay. And for sure they were hungry yesterday. Why wouldn't they be? They're not All-Ireland champions. They want to win an All-Ireland this year. Um, more, maybe more so than Clare at this stage of the championship. And like that was plain to be seen uh, yesterday. John, the Cork personnel changes from the All-Ireland final last year have been remarked upon and right through the middle of the team. Jimmy Barry Murphy has brought new guys in. I would have thought most counties, if they get to an All-Ireland final and almost win the, the first one, would be happy enough to consolidate and maybe bring one new guy in. It, uh, fairly ballsy stuff by Jimmy Barry Murphy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they've, been, uh, they've been chopping and changing um, throughout uh, the league to try to try to get the right fellas in the, in the right places. And We didn't see much of Damien Callan uh, last year, but he, he's been on the fringes of the panel and uh, he really made a, a breakthrough this year. And... Uh, a full back, especially uh, suits him. He's a big physical player, and he's very mobile. And you saw yesterday he was he was he adapted well when he was uh, dragged out of the square there and moved out around the middle of the field and um, got a great point there in the first half. But uh, seemed to get the grips with the 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 pace of the play, and that was probably like a step up for Cork from um, the first two games against Waterford. And you, uh, the question marks were over those guys, the likes of uh, Mark Ellis and Damien Callan, to see would they be able to step up to the, the Monster Championship pace because the Waterford game um, from where I was watching was, was um, not at the pace where you, you'd, you'd expect the Monster final to be or the Monster semi-final. The characterisation of the two managers always falls along the same lines really that, that David Fitzgerald is this new school tactical whiz kid and Jimmy Barry Murphy is an old school just let them out, let them hurl, let them at it kind of manager. Is that strictly accurate based on what you saw yesterday? 
Yeah, it looks like it. Uh, I think um, from a clear point of view yesterday, I think Davy had the guys uh, well drilled again, and and the system that they were looking to play was was similar to last year, but maybe a, a couple of tweaks in it. And uh, I think from a clear point of view, it worked against them in terms of the likes of Tony Kelly and the, uh, them in, uh, operating in the corner or in around the half hour down there. I felt that he was tied up and uh, there was there was plenty of room around the middle of the field and I, I felt that if he could get out there and get on the ball a bit more that he might be able to start something from a, from a clear point of view. And it looked like they were suffocating their, their good players um, into a system where they might have benefited more from being um, left free around the middle of the field or around the half-hour line. But from a cock point of view, Jimmy... From from experience, Jimmy doesn't sit around the tactics board and he doesn't spend a lot of time there talking to to guys about where he wants movement and stuff like that. He he definitely lets it up to the guys and and he uh, it's the individual res- responsibility to perform on the day and that's uh, Jimmy just gives them the confidence and gives them the freedom to go out and perform. But what he does do and and what the management team look at very closely is they look at the matchups and especially in defence still. They look. Uh, they look to match the guys up with the the, the opponents and try to nullify uh, any of the quality players that would be on the other side. And that seemed to work out very uh, very well yesterday. And uh, Clare just couldn't get the grips with the, some of the Cork performances. Yeah, I think I think you're right there, John. You hit the nail on the head. And I think that's where Clare suffered yesterday. I think they had a game plan very similar to the way they went out and played their hurling last year. And I felt when that game plan went against them, when the Cork backline got to grips with the Clare forward line uh, in particular when you know Conor McGrath did, left Conor McGrath inside isolated yesterday just a one man full forward line and did a man marker on him they got him in very limited supply of ball and when they did get him in good ball he, d- he did some damage he looked very dangerous you just felt that you know uh, Christopher Joyce man marked Tony Kelly yesterday that was obviously a ploy by Jimmy Barry that worked to a T Mark Ellis held the centre very very well and um you know, Callan came out, ended up actually, as John said, a full back naturally, but he actually ended up wing back marking the big tall guy, Peter Duggan, tried to nullify the puck out. Now, while Jimmy Barry Murphy will have said yesterday evening that he's not, he never sits around the table uh, thinking tactics, he thought a lot long and hard about how to manage that clear uh, forward line, which was so dangerous last year, and that he walked, he walked to a tee yesterday. And you just felt when the, ta- the clear tactics that that didn't work for them yesterday. You just wonder they didn't have plan B. If you watch the declared the goalkeeper's puck outs, it was route one. They were supposed to have plans B, C, D, E, F and G. This is what we heard in the off season that they have six or seven game plans that they can instill in it or they can bring into the game at any moment. I don't think I don't think we saw them yesterday, or maybe it was the fact that Cork were so on top of their game and were so hungry. They were to every breaking ball. When you have an opposition team like that, it's very, very hard to break down. It doesn't matter how many tactics, how many plans you have. It doesn't matter if the other team is on top of their game, which Cork were yesterday. doesn't matter, Dan. John, yeah. I mean, it goes back to our original point about, about hunger, maybe. And you look at Tony Kelly and, and Podge Collins, who were probably the two best hurlers in the country last year. I mean, maybe, it's, maybe you say that, that uh, they weren't as hungry as their, as their Cork counterparts. But, or, or maybe it is as simple as, as, uh, as Benny was saying there, that they were out-hurled by their, their opposite number. Yeah, the, the Cork defenders they were definitely on top yesterday, but uh, the hunger issue is it's something that can be can be thrown around. But I don't, I don't think these guys went out yesterday just to, to go through the motions. They were obviously looking for a place in the in the Munster final, and um, it was just on the day. It looked like it was funny towards the end of the game that it, the, the game was just petering out. And uh, if you looked at the, if you looked at the scoreboard, Clare were only about five points down. But if you looked at the game, uh, it looked like the Cork were ahead by ten or fifteen points. To, it became pedestrianised towards the end, and. Um, that's that's probably why people are talking about the hunger issue. But you just have to think of it from a Cork point of view. If you if you went so close to winning all around last year, going to a replay, 
being beaten at the death. And then you're coming up against the team that beat you in the following year. Uh, you've been waiting for this match for, for the whole of the winter. And obviously um, the, the, Cork, the Cork performance yesterday showed that they knew that uh, they kind of let one slip there last year, even though Clare were um, f- uh, fully worthy of the win. Johnny, happy enough that Patrick Horgan stepped up to whack home the free and the penalty and maybe put an, I don't, an, an end might be too optimistic, but at least it's changed the narrative somewhat around the whole Nashville. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to uh, typical Patrick Horgan, like, you know, all the hullabaloo that was going on uh, during the week, and he says, look, I'm going to take the free now, and I, I don't care where you're going to put it, I'm going to stick it in the back of the net, and that, that was his attitude yesterday, and hopefully that will put an end to the, the whole fiasco, because that's what it was turning into, and um, I, I don't think when Nash did in the goal yesterday, I think all the Cork people were, were happy to, to let Patrick take the freeze. But in fairness to Patrick, he, I'd say he was just after tapping one over earlier on, and then he, he looked at the, the clear defenders who looked to, to me that they looked like they were switched off. There was a clear guy injured right next to him, and, and he saw the opportunity and he stuck it. And, and again, the penalty was a massive strike and right on the 20 metre line. And I'd say it was a, it was a case of. Uh, they felt again that the GA were trying to get at Cork um, with the tactics that they were using and throwing the ball in uh, to the 13 before the struck but Patrick put the, the record right there yesterday <laughs> You're nodding along there Betty the, the, the declared offenders weren't expecting that yeah, tip, Typical Cork answer there you know yeah. but, um, <laughs> No I think if you look at Patrick Horgan yesterday and two, the two shots were struck with topspin actually if you look close yeah. enough at it and that really kind of scuppered the, the goalkeeper and, and, and the back line I don't think they even saw it and you know fair play to Nash I mean he I was, I was at the match and I was looking at him and I was saying is he going to come up now or is he not and you know he gave Patrick Horgan full responsibility for it I mean he wasn't coming up the field to make a big show of it you know he saw Horgan scoring the 21 the first half and he just waved at him and said take the penalty as well and you know that's a true testament to Nash being a real team player as well Horgan said he didn't know that he was going to be taking it until that moment which I found interesting I would have thought that you know exactly who's going to take a penalty who's going to take a free at any time yeah well a lot of the time you know a game of hurling everything happens so quick you don't sometimes you don't have a plan in place for these things I mean you kind of give the ball then to the most confident player I mean Horgan had scored a 21 so why not take the take the penalty as well after after Ratlin won the first half his eye was in his striking was in I mean he was flushing the ball yesterday I mean he took some great frees from 80-90 yards I mean he popped them over every time and what a class free taker just a point on Clare before we move off them. An interesting was the pull quote on the Irish on the front page of the Irish Times sports section actually was from David Fitzgerald. He says, I am worried now. There's been a lot taken out of the lads. A few lads think you can play both codes. You can't do it. Now, Podge Collins is clearly one of the people he's talking about there who has played a couple of games for his, his dad's football team. His dad manages the Clare footballers. Has David Fitzgerald got a point here? Um, I think he has. Uh, personally, I think you can't play both codes to the very highest level. Um, I think it has to be one or the other, and I suppose Davy Fitz has has said that made that statement, and I suppose up to Podge Collins to decide what he wants to do. But he's in a tough situation as well, as you said. His dad is manager of the football team. You know, they have a great interest in football and Cratlow as well. Um, he's a good footballer. He's obviously a class hurler. Um, but I thought Podge Collins looked uh, lethargic a bit yesterday. In, and Clare didn't get their full value out of him for is whatever that all reason. Is based on one, you, you do say for whatever reason there, is that all based on just playing a game a couple of weeks ago or was it last weekend for the footballers? Because I did see Podge Collins talking about this and it being talked about and the point was made that like he doesn't go out drinking after games as some players might. He looks after himself, he plays his game of football, he goes home, he has his correct foods and he has his rest and then he's ready to train with the herders. And the way I read that, it seemed like, well, it's not as though he's playing for the Clare footballers 
the Clare Herders and the Dublin Footballers or something like that. It's, he's playing, he's not, it's not the very highest level in, in both codes necessarily. Could he not get away with playing the odd game for his dad? Uh, I, I don't think so, no. to be honest with you. Um, in my opinion, it has to be kind of one or the other and you're absolutely right and I, I, I would know Podge Collins um, to a small degree and I know they keep food diaries. He's been in UL. He's, my friend, friend of mine was coached with UL Hurlers and he told me that the carry on of the Clare guys after matches. I mean, they do keep food diaries. They really look after themselves and you can see that by, by the, the, the strength and conditioning that they're in and they're in great nick. Um, but to go out and play football last week and get your head around coming into hurling training on a Tuesday night and a Friday night getting ready for a Munster semi-final, it's a very, very hard ask. And I think, you know, it'll work to a, maybe to a very small extent with a couple of players. But I think across the board, it's it's hard to expect a player to play both codes at the top level. John, I'm sure you'll have your thoughts on this. Yeah, to be fair, to be fair, if, if you're going to do, if you're going to play the the the, the top uh, games at, at at the highest level, I think. Um, you need to be doing nothing else. Like you know, there, there should be there's no college or no work or anything like that. You need to be full time at it because it's it's going to take so much out of out of a guy to to perform at the highest level in the, in both codes. And um, you see guys suffering. One or the other always suffers as you go along. Um, Jamie Callan had a good run. now, to be fair to him, had a good run at the hurling this year, and that's why he's performed so well. But his uh, his is that he's going to be changing off the football now very soon, and it's going to be very interesting to see how they get on and how they manage that in Cork. But my opinion is. It can be done, but it needs to be a full time. It needs to be full time, and the guy, the guy needs to be doing his recovery sessions during the day, and he needs to be uh, fully looked after. And that's obviously that's not the case in the GA at the moment. That's interesting, John. So essentially, if you're going to play as a dual player, you literally have to be a professional, essentially. Well, yeah, essentially, but obviously there's nobody going to pay you to do it. But what I'm saying is that you need to you need to be professional and everything, but but being paid for it because. The amount that it'll take out of it, if you're playing at the top level week in, week out, and when the, when the championship, uh, just just for example, if the Cork footballers are to lose and they go into the back door, they'll be playing week on week, and then the hurlers are in the, the Munster final. It's, it's going to be, it's, it's almost impossible if you have to get up and go to work or get up and go to college as well, on top of all that. But if you have no distractions and you can play both games, I, I, think, it, I think it can be done, but that's the only way you can do it. Well, one man who had to make that choice a couple of years back was Conal Keeney, who went back to what seems to be his primary love, and that's hurling. He's missed out a couple of football All-Irelands, but when he plays like he did against Wexford on Saturday night, you can see that maybe it was a, it was a, a good decision, certainly for the Dublin hurlers, I think, Benny. Yeah, yeah absolutely a top-class performance from Conal Keeney from start to finish. Um, in every aspect of the game, his feeling of the ball, his striking, his passing, his, his work rate off the ball was absolutely top class on Saturday night in Wexford Park. Um, you know, I think Dublin came up against, you know, a stiff challenge in Wexford. I think Wexford had improved a lot from last year. You know, fair play to them. They, they put it up to Dublin on Saturday night, but I think Dublin will be over the moon um, with that win. It was a tough assignment heading down to Wexford Park. Um, they did what they had to do. They won by six, seven points. They didn't run away with it, um, and they were tested. And I think um, Anthony Daly and the backroom team in Dublin will be, uh, will be delighted with that. Uh, John, there didn't seem to be a, a massive amount between the teams, and Wexford has, as Betty said, there they have improved an awful lot over the last couple of years. Um, but there is still this suspicion that if uh, if Dublin, if it was, if it comes down between Dublin or Wexford to really give Kilkenny a massive rattle in the Leinster final, and that's presuming Kilkenny beat Galway this weekend, uh, that Dublin are in a much better position than Wexford are for whatever reason. They don't have maybe that mental hang up against Kilkenny that, that, that Wexford would have. Is that being a little unfair on the job that, that Liam Dunn has done in the last 12 months or 18 months? Well, I think you can't take away from the job that, that Liam Dunn has done there uh, in Wexford. They've, they're, they're certainly in the transition period and he's looking for them to be competitive rather than to, 
to be uh, um, challenging for the Leinster title at the moment. I mean, I think that's that's a bit too far for them this year and maybe next year as well. Uh, he's certainly in in development mode there, but um, Dublin are Dublin are in a right position now to give Kilkenny a game. Is there to be Galway? Um, as far as I can see, they came in. They they were four four one there. I suppose last year with the the draw below in Wexford Park, and they weren't going to let that happen again. They seemed in full control to me throughout the game. I know Wexford kept uh, kept in the match and, and drew a level there just after half time, but Dublin pulled away. And in fairness to them, um, they, they seem to be coming, and they'll, they'll have another couple of players back now for the for the Leinster final, and they'll be ready to meet Kilkenny's challenge if they're if they're to get over Galway. Benny, are Kilkenny going to get over Galway next weekend? Um, I think they will but I think you know if there's Anthony and Galway at all I think they'll they'll rise their game to Kilkenny they'll need to because Kilkenny are in top form at, at present and we all know that and we saw what they did against Offaly uh, Galway through were disappointing to me in the National League semi-final was very disappointed uh, with them Connor Cooney's now on the freeze Joe Canning is off the freeze playing on the edge of the square they don't seem to know what to do with Joe Canning in general Um and I think if they are to challenge Kilkenny the weekend, he's going to have to be a pivotal part and, and going to be need to be in the play. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in that regard. All right. Well, listen, Benny, great stuff. John Gardner, thank you. Thanks, all. Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 one be the last one. Bam. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl's sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question, does anybody deserve to lose a dollar in a club fighter? Give me a tech, 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 if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being eight up. Imagine coming eight down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie. Two castle barmen. And a British man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of goal. What a day for us coming. It sounds like the lads really don't believe in the dual player model anymore, Murph, despite no. my best efforts to push some ideas on them, put words in their mouths. Just what, what's that, The idea that I had there is just that I would have thought it might be more workable for Podge Collins than for Owen Cadigan, for example. If you're in Cork, it's quite a laudable thing to try to play both both sports, but it's very hard to get into the starting team in both sports with two sides who are among the top few and they're yeah. you know, both going for All-Ireland, both realistic, uh, having realistic shots at All-Ireland. Whereas with Clare, it would be very clear to me that hurling is the priority, but giving your dad a dig out, yeah. It was Father's Day at the weekend. Murphy, you know, Podge Collins had to, <laughs> couldn't give his dad a dig out this weekend and probably yeah. feels bad for that. So we'll want to play the next game. Yeah, I mean, the the point is well made. You can, it's obvious where Podge Collins' main focus is and he's trying to fit the football in around the hurling. If you're on Cadigan, I don't know what you're trying to fit one into the other. I mean, what what's the, do you have to have a priority? Mm. Or is you, you know, the idea is you can't serve two masters. But if you're on Cadigan or you're Aidan Walsh, do you say, right, it has to be 100% 50-50 down the line. Otherwise, I, I can't do it because I'm, I'm fooling, I'm, I'm fooling one brilliant set of players or the other. So maybe it's easier that way. Uh, maybe well, it's easier when it's, when it's just, when it's 50-50 and you, you say, right, this is just something I want to do. And, you know, you're at least being honest about it. Maybe with 
Paul Collins, maybe he, there's a, a feeling of guilt nearly that, okay, I, I have to try and help my dad out. And then he sees all of his hurling colleagues with nothing else to think about other than hurling. And he doesn't have that focus. I don't know. I'm, I, it's a strange one. It's certainly something that you can't do for any more than two or three years. In Walsh might have picked a very good year to do it because the Cork footballers and hurlers are looking pretty good this year. And he's looking pretty good for them. Certainly he's good yeah. for the hurlers the weekend. Ireland clinched a series win in Argentina at the weekend, but they weren't particularly impressive in their second their second test in Tucumán province. We're joined now by Shane Horgan. Shane, you're in Argentina, you're in Buenos Aires now, and you were there to see Messi and uh, the Argentinian team eventually rise into the challenge last night, which must have been pretty exciting. Where did you watch the game? I watched the, not to be too much for tourists, but I watched the match in a place called Football Loco, which is mad about football. Hold on, and, hold on, uh, hold on, I'll stop you right there. You've obviously just made up a name of a bar there, Shane. <laughs> football Loco. <laughs> yeah, I'm not certain of how packed it was for the locals. Like every other bar you go to, um, it was packed largely with Australians, I think. But uh, there certainly was some locals there as well. And it was funny. It was a really good insight into um, how they see the World Cup. The nerves in the bar was unbelievable. I thought they'd be nonstop celebrating, singing from, from the word go. And even, you know, they got the early goal. But it was really nervous, real apprehension all the way until really uh, Messi got the second goal. And then they started celebrating. I'll tell you when they did celebrate was at half time, And they started playing the Maradona song. And the whole place went bananas. Yeah. Congo lines all around the pub, <laughs> nonstop singing some Maradona chant. Yeah, well, that ties in with the... Uh, and, and every TV station over here all had the same angle going in. They all had their montages of... Messi producing for Barcelona, but Maradona producing for Brazil in the 1986 World Cup. And there were taxi drivers in Buenos Aires interviewed in the BBC who said, oh, you know, Messi just does not have a place in our heart like Maradona. Your snippet of, um, of uh, into that world, uh, Shane, would appear to suggest that that's the case. Messi, Messi has to, if he keeps scoring in every match, maybe they'll love him as much as they love Maradona. I think if he scores brilliant goals in every match, yeah. he might get close to Maradona. But I think that's... He'll never surpass him. Like the guy, Maradona over here, he's one of my favorites anyway. He's one of my favorite footballer ever. He is just adored over here. And I think it's, it's because, um, you know, I think you mentioned it in the podcast last week that he represents the, 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 the locals, the people, the football fans, where Messi, you know, he seems a bit almost elitist, where um, Maradona is like one of the boys, one of our guys done good, and he delivered uh, the World Cup for them. But he's like, he's got his own show every night. Uh, he looks pretty relaxed getting interviewed by someone in a suit where he's pretty casual wearing a T-shirt and, uh, and jeans generally. Um, oh, that documentary that you mentioned last week um, of the 86 World oh, Cup, yeah. I actually watched it. But then, uh, as I'd been walking around up in Tucumán, I realised it's on 24 hours a day here. It's non-stop. Every outlet, every bar, every, um, every convenience store has that uh, documentary on 24-7. That's all you can see. So he is definitely lauded. Um, and uh, listen, Messi isn't far behind. He's the everything of the jerseys. Every single one of the jerseys has Messi on the back. Everybody's wearing one of those 10 jerseys. But uh, it was certainly, from my experience last night, it's still uh, Maradona number one. Sounds like a good place to be. We were talking to you last week about the head of the second test. You were heading, or you'd arrived, I think, at that stage in Tucumán province. And you made the point that that was slightly more rugby country than where the first test was on. How did it pan out? Yeah, it, it was and it wasn't. It was kind of a bit disappointing. There was an, a really old ground, but... 
huge character like it was fantastic and I spoke to a number of the players on the team at the team run or the captain's run and they were delighted with the stadium although it looked shabby it was cool and unfortunately the crowd never really attended it wasn't a huge crowd uh, they couldn't sell the tickets and I know you know speaking to some of the people involved uh, in the Argentinian Union they were saying that like if we're bringing rugby to these provinces if we're bringing it to Tucumán if we're bringing it to uh, uh, Chaco then you know we should really be selling out otherwise just have it in, in Buenos Aires and they didn't sell it out the atmosphere wasn't as hostile as you'd expect and uh you know, there, there, for those reasons, there should have probably been a better uh, performance from um, from Ireland because it wasn't as if the crowd were right in behind, driving on the, the Pumas all the way. That, that they had to generate their own uh, atmosphere, really. Yeah, and the, I guess over here, the tours had a fairly low profile given that the World Cup's going on and the GA Championships and everything else. But Joe Schmidt only has very short windows, as every international coach does, to try things out, really, because you're not going to be doing it in the middle of a Six Nations and probably not in the majority of November internationals against the top Southern Hemisphere teams. Based on, on that premise, has he learned much over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I don't think he's learned that much. He's a lot more questions probably than answers. Um, I'd say he'd probably get on the phone to Gordon Darcy and uh, checking out how he's going to be going and will he, does he fancy it up to the next World Cup yeah. because... Um, the centre pairings didn't really work, I don't think. Um, you know, individually they had decent moments, uh, actually all three of them. But uh, Cave at 12 didn't work particularly well. Um, I don't think McFadden probably at 13, that isn't his best position. And Marshall, you know, although he can carry the ball well, I think his dis- distribution certainly let him down. Uh, and it's an area you can work on. Um, so there's certainly nothing nailed down. In, in, in the centre I think his, Joe Schmidt's gaze will maybe turn to um, to Jared Payne for the Autumn Internationals and again a, a look back on how important Gordon Darcy is to the team aside from that the scrum was excellent very very strong but you have to factor in it was a very weak Argentinian team they were very poor in the scrum not you know, Ireland did dominate them there. Line out was very good as well. So a lot of the boxes were ticks for, for the forwards as a unit. Um, the backs on the whole didn't perform very well. Um, Rob Carney had a decent game. Uh, Zebo showed a few of the flashes and probably worked a little bit harder. So I think he probably impressed. And then probably the standout guy of Saturday's game was Reese Ruddock, who was exceptional. They couldn't put him down, uh, couldn't stop him. His work rate was huge as always. Uh, got a great offload for uh, almost for the try for Cave. Um, but he was probably the the real success story of this tour. That centre issue, though, Shane, sounds like it's getting pretty serious now, and particularly given that. Luke Marshall suffered another concussion, so don't know what the long-term I- issue might be there. Ideally, we wanted to be looking at a successor to O'Driscoll, but now, as you mentioned, it's it's really two centres going to have to be found in a couple. Of, once Gordon Darcy hangs up his boots, and it doesn't look like we're too close to getting there. No, I don't think we are. Um, I think Joe Smith would be disappointed that Robbie Henshaw couldn't come on the tour. He would have liked to have seen him. I'm pretty certain he would have played one of the games at 13 if he had been selected. Um, it was a, very, a lot of lateral play. You know, those two, the two centres, they weren't, they didn't seem to be holding anyone. And so it was quite easy to defend uh, from a uh, from an Argentinian perspective. And they defended well. They went soft. They didn't shoot out the line uh, as they do sometimes. There was a lot of side-on tackles, um, lateral tackles, with some yards made, but ultimately... Um, Argentina could get into a very strong defensive position off the phases and, and nothing really came of it so um, from that side of things he's going to be disappointed um, 
as I said, Dar- Darren Cave, he went quite well in the first game, but through the centres, there was a lot of tackles. I think, I can't remember the stat, but it was a very, very high number. I think it was maybe up to six tackles were missed in the centres on, um, on, uh, the fir- during the first test. And now that wasn't the case in the second test. They were a bit more solid, but again, they didn't look as if they were going to make a break up the middle. And when they were moving the ball, it was lateral. So it's hard to know where Joe Schmidt is. He'll certainly, as I said, he'd be looking to, to uh, Jared Payne. He'd be looking to Gordon Darcy and, and Robbie Henshaw. And these guys all need to be, well, it's for the Robbie Henshaw and Jared Payne need to be tried out in November. So, you know, there was a huge opportunity for centres on this tour and it wasn't taken. I did see O'Connell afterwards seemed a bit downbeat in the sense that he said that since November, he reckons the team has been improving. And even when there's a knockback, they tend to learn from that and come back stronger the next week. Whereas in this case, I think the general feeling seems to be that that didn't happen. They had two weeks and there wasn't really the sense of a team who had improved and learned stuff from first test to second test. No, there wasn't. There was definitely a different performance. These are probably back-to-back... Um, you know, given that Joe's first games were sort of feeling things out, they, there had been a steady improvement, as Paul said. There hasn't been improvement. I think they took a little bit of a step backwards. I know they're missing a lot of players, uh, and it was the end of a season. And in the first week in particular, they were tired because there was a lot of travelling. Joe actually trained them quite hard that week. There were a good few minutes on the park, but also to and from train sessions. The logistics were quite difficult. So there was often guys were going for a 40-minute wait session and it was taking them, you know, a 40 minutes to get there and 40 minutes back. And, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but actually to an athlete, it can be mentally fatiguing and that can manifest itself on the pitch. Now, that wasn't the case this week. And I think that will be disappointing for Joe, will be disappointing for the players because you would expect things to turn around. You'd, you'd have expected an upturn, but uh, that wasn't the case. And there was, you know, there was, I, I had a feeling that they could have blown them away in the second test um, if they had got things right. It's not, you know, it's not a particularly strong Argentinian team. Um, they're not big. They're not particularly powerful. They're quite well organised, and we see that now. But there certainly was an improvement week to week that you'd expect, and and um, Joe will be disappointed. Yeah, just lastly, given that O'Driscoll's creativity, along with everything else, is, is gone now, and we're short of creative players, it seems, to a certain extent, does Schmidt have to find a way now to get the most out of Zebo, who we talked about last week, and Ian Madigan, who wasn't going to be going on this tour until quite close to... Um, the cut-off point, but he wasn't selected originally. Does are, are they the kind of players that that now Schmidt might need to lean on and might need to find a way to get the best out of? Well, I think he's going to be trying to do that anyway. Um, and I think it's maybe the other thing that we need to address, and I, I haven't mentioned it, is that the nature of this tour, the nature of the series. It's not like a Six Nations. It's not even to some degree. It's not like playing uh, an autumn international where you're playing against one of the Southern Hemisphere teams. Whether it's subconscious or not, there is this thought or this idea that you know they're not going to be ha- have to be quite at their best to win the game, and that they could try things out. And I thought they were trying a lot of stuff out. A lot of stuff worked actually. The peels in the lineup worked very well, um, and a lot of the forward play worked well. But then. I thought they kept too much ball in hand, didn't kick enough ball off the park. And as was the case in the first test, if you really wanted to strangle that team, you could have kicked ball off the park and then gone after the line-out. So there was, you know, there was options to do that. So that's sort of specific to an end-of-season tour and this end-of-season tour in Argentina against a weak and Puma side. With regard to developing creative players, of course, he'll always want to do that. And I think not... 
if you look at it not from a Joe Schmidt perspective, but if you look at it from a Zebo or Madigan perspective, there's huge opportunity for them there. Because without O'Driscoll, you know, we haven't seen Payne yet, we haven't seen Henshaw, but as it is, there's not a huge amount of creativity in that midfield. You know, I think Darren Cave can create, but he he didn't deliver as he should have on this tour. So there is opportunity and um for someone who brings something special that can unlock a defense. Um I think Joe wants that as part of a, a sort of organic mechanism, so everybody's working together to break down um, a a defence off a you know off a game plan. But also, it's you know when that doesn't happen, and you know teams can figure out what you're trying to do, then it's down to the bit of individual brilliance. And we saw a couple of bits by Zebo, and certainly Madigan. I don't know anyone in Ireland who attacks the line better in the 22 off. Um, from fo- football, off uh, from f- football, the Madigan he does very well. We've seen that try over and over again. It's a big left foot step, and and he he, he generally gets over the line. You now whether he can control an entire game, and are we lulled into a certain perspective of him because he doesn't play um, eighty minutes? That's that's what we have to see. I would have liked to have seen him play more game time at ten. I don't think the period he played was long enough. I don't think Johnny needed to play the whole of the second test or almost the whole of the second test. So I think there might be an opportunity missed there by Joe. All right, Shane, I'm just looking at the World Cup fixtures here. Argentina's next game, Murph, is against Iran Saturday lunchtime. So Shane might need to, might need, might need to, might need to book a table there at Football Loco. It's a, it's a busy time, I'm sure. Listen, Shane, great to talk to you as always. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. See you, lads. Bye. I can only imagine how annoying it must be to work somewhere where that... 1986 hero documentary mm. around Maradona's exploits is on a loop. If you've ever worked in a shop, if you've ever worked anywhere where there might be, say, a playlist of songs that is repeated ad nauseum all day, it bores into your psyche and you're hearing those songs all night. If you're somewhere where all you're seeing all day is Maradona in 86, even the most, even the proudest Argentinian might get... Say Diego uh, Maradona would be pretty annoyed. If he was working in a convenience store that played that 1986 documentary over and over again, I'd say even Maradona. Looped. Yeah. I mean, I, I once worked in a, in a clothes shop that played Frank Sinatra chains mm-hmm. over and over again. And that was one of the longest summers of my life. Have I mean, you, I can't, I can't really listen to Frank Sinatra anymore. I was going to ask, have you been, ever, uh, been able to recover your love for... Frank I'm not Sinatra. for old blue eyes. Old blue eyes. Yeah. I'm not. T- anytime I hear a Frank Sinatra song, it immediately transports me back. You know that. You know the the thing that they say about smells is you know it's it, you only it's like maybe only five percent of your contact with the outside world is smells, but it's it's the most uh, redolent, the most evocative. So if you smell something, you're immediately taken back to the place where you first smelled that thing. And I think that there is perhaps a wrinkle in that statistic where. Frank Sinatra songs is even more evocative. So all I have to do is think of that, is hear a Frank Sinatra song, and I'm immediately transported back to the long, hot summer of 2001. You are listening to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Just a reminder that we have got Monday's World Cup show already available for you. Ken was speaking from Salvador, wasn't he? I can't keep up with the man. I was going to say Manaus, but it was definitely Salvador, where he was attending the Germany-Portugal game. He was in Manaus for England-Italy. He was in Sao Paulo for Brazil-Croatia. And he's been having a whale of a time. We uh, chatted to him and he was in great form. So well worth the listen. Ulster champions Monaghan eventually got over the line against Tyrone yesterday. Anthony Moyles is here to talk about that. Anthony, thanks for popping in. 
No bother at all, lads. We must check at the start. You have been watching the, the football over the weekend because obviously the World Cup is taking up a lot of people's. We need to know that you saw the Mon and Drone game. Didn't <laughs> yeah, I did. I had the, the recorder was, was flat out over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. I've actually worked it out now, finally, that I can actually record two at once and watch, which is good. I thought I would have to get a separate TV. And, you know. You've got a VHS on the kitchen, the one in the kitchen yeah. and the one in the sitting room. Yeah. yeah, that's what it's all about. We've been talking about this and I want to ask you, do you believe in the concept in Gaelic football or in sport in general, of a bogey team? Uh, not really. No, no. Um, and I know we've we've kind of discussed, you know, bogey stadium, you know, and kind of going to, oh, well, you know, they never, they very rarely win and wherever it is, Newry or whatever, very rarely win and wherever it is. Um, I think it's put out there sometimes a little bit too easily, uh, you know, as an excuse why a team just can't beat another team. Um, but certainly, I think it plays on players' minds, you know. I think over the years, uh, I even know ourselves, like, I mean, Westmead and ourselves would have always been, like, Westmead just couldn't seem to beat me at all, you know what I mean? And, be, and it'd been in some situations where they were well ahead of us and looked for to all ends up that they were going to win the game and they just couldn't. So, you know, is it a situation where players, even if they're ahead, such as Monaghan yesterday, start to say, oh, well, the weight of this is actually starting to weigh on us now. The old history tradition comes in and they tighten up, which they very, which they actually did. Um, but I, you know, myself personally, I would have always seen that, okay, here's X, here's a team that you haven't played and I'd see that as a big challenge. Yes, Malachi O'Rourke, Monaghan manager, did say after the game, it's only natural it becomes an obstacle. We've been losing to these guys since 1988 and it is there I know Joe Brody on RTE afterwards said if this was against Donegal they would have pulled away Peter Canavan on BBC said sure Tyrone Tyrone fans didn't even turn up some of them because they just assumed that they were going to beat Monaghan which seems completely counterintuitive really given that Monaghan are the Ulster champions but it seemed to be there I guess we shouldn't harp on about it too much because they did find a way to win but it just looked interesting that they, they seemed very confident very confident then suddenly last 10 minutes panicked black cards all that kind of thing yeah well I think they I think 52 53 minutes on it seemed to me that they they then decided right we're actually what we have we'll hold and that's a long long time out yeah. like that's a half of a half you know um, so I really I really felt that they, they played a risky game but that often can happen and it's not even anything that a manager can do just players on the field kind of start to retreat you don't have a guy who's overlapping he decides well, actually I'll just stay with my man now we have a five point cushion and you're all all of a sudden you're mentally thinking in your mind if we don't concede a goal here yeah. uh, they have to get five scores we might tag on one or two so that's seven scores to beat us and, and that, I'm not saying that's that decision happens very quickly in a player's mind um, and it's very hard to get that out all of a sudden you know you as a player you go to take on the ball but then you have no support and you get you get done for over carrying or a guy dispossess you and you lose and then the crowd get on top of you and all of a sudden just, just this as I say the momentum builds um, and before you know it someone throws out the ah oh, well they're you know, the weight of this uh, for the years against Tyrone. Whereas it's actually a thing of the players just tighten up, um, I believe. And, you know, when they see the winning post, they just kind of go, right. Um, and you probably need one or two little bits of luck to go your way. And then you might actually win by seven, eight, nine, ten points, you know, because yeah. you'll just get right on top of them. Yeah, and it, it seems like it happens very quickly and it's just one small decision by all the players or 10 or 11 of the players and all of a sudden no one's taking any risks. And as you say, Monaghan, they didn't score in the last 14 minutes of play and the two points that Tron gifted them two really silly frees that McManus kicked over the bar mm. from say as you said like the 52nd 53rd minute and that kind of steadied the ship for them but you know if you take that last 20 minutes 
compared to the 50 minutes that you'd seen before that, you know, it, it is kind of, it's very easy to construct the argument that that the bogey team or the fact that they hadn't beaten Toronto in however many years it was, it did play on their minds. So it nearly becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. If, if enough players believe in the idea of a bogey team, then you have, you've got a bogey team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is it. As Murph says, self-fulfilling prophecy. And what happens is it's strange in a lot of these situations that one thing follows another. McManus, who would be your outball in a situation like that. Okay, so you've 10 minutes to go. You're defending pretty well. You fellas back. And then you look up and you just put this ball into space. He takes on his man and he spits it over the bar. And you go, oh, that raises everyone. He wasn't firing yesterday. And then Hughes and a couple of the guys have come off and different injuries. So you didn't really have that match massive potency and that massive threat. So it was a bit of a rear guard action and it was his rear guard much to due, due to the personnel that were left on the pitch and a kind of, a, as I say, what we have we hold here and we just tried to see this out. I wonder now though, the fact they got over it, will that win give them, be even more of a confidence boost than beating Donegal last year? Because on the face of it, for everyone else in the country, you'd look at it and think, well, they took down the All-Ireland Champions, that was incredible and it was and they won Ulster but didn't kick on from there. This time around, Maybe a lot of people expected them to win this game outside of those two counties. The fact that they've gotten rid of, gotten this monkey off their back to use another uh, cliche, yeah. might that actually, might this be more of a confidence booster than beating Donegal? I think you're right. I, like, it amazed me, even in the, in, in, the, in the press and some of the interviews coming up to the game, how many Monaghan players mention it. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you would kind of think that they might just kind of dismiss it and say, ah, oh, we're not worried about 88. We're not worried about all the times. But a lot of them said, well, I was on the minor team. I did, you know, we've lost these games. You know, so it was, it was at the forefront of their mind. Now, whether they were using it as a motivational tool, I don't know. Um, but certainly I would feel that. And again, you know, it's funny you mention it. I don't know, I don't know the intricacies up there, but certainly in Lancer um, and in in most provinces, you would have a team where you go, if you see the draw coming up, you say, we'll beat those. Now, you could be way off that team, <laughs> but you'll just, like, there is this inner belief. Like, I mean, I heard about Cork and Clare yesterday in the hurling, that Cork would never fear Clare, have never done, would never feel them. If they, they'd feel that if they're up to the fitness level and the physicality, that they're the better hurlers. Now, that's, you know, people would say that's arrogant, but definitely counties have that. And I don't know what the what the, the scenario is between Monaghan and Donegal. Maybe Monaghan have that feeling about Donegal, but they certainly don't have it against Tyrone. Mm. So to beat Tyrone in the manner that they did, um, and I also think it's great that they, they actually beat them just hanging on because O'Rourke will use that. You know, if they won by six or seven... It could get a little bit, the crowd could get a little bit, you know, the supporters could get a little bit, you know, kind of ahead of themselves. Whereas now he just has a perfect situation where he's saying, well, look, actually, you were lucky to get out in the end. We need to increase the training for our ma. And he, I think he's in a great position. Mickey Hart, maybe not in such a great position. Interestingly, he didn't speak to the media afterwards. And that's a rarity by all accounts. He always fronts up regardless of the result. We saw how angry he was about the shortage of injury time when he had a go with the referee afterwards what did you make of it all yeah he probably has a point um, like there was an awful lot of stuff going on in that kind of last four or five six minutes of the game I thought some of the decisions you know I, I don't know one or two of the black cars there was a lot of stuff going on different things happening um, like I mean I saw like Tyrone versus me last year there was a lot of cynical stuff going on by Tyrone you know there was a lot of kind of time wasting there was a lot of just kill the game as much as possible like Mead were kind of a lot of momentum a lot of fellas driving down through the middle with pace and Tyrone just kept stopping 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 and continuously breaking down Mead's momentum which proved the, the, the difference between the teams 
So he's kind of on the under end of it now. Like I mean, if I was a Monaghan player, that's exactly what I would do. You know, just try and break the momentum. And yes, he might have a he might have a point. It should have been another one or two minutes. But at the same time, if Morgan kicked the free, um, and they played an extra two minutes, Monaghan might have, might have got the winning <laughs> score. So you know, it's it's really. I think he probably just heated the moment. He just got a bit. Yeah, and I think it's. I think in, when there's sto- when there are stoppages in injury time. It kind of gives everyone free reign. I thought two minutes was probably not enough injury mm. time to begin with. And then when you put on top of that, the fact that there were two stoppages in injury time that you should really have added maybe 10, 15 seconds for, then you can see where he's coming from. But, I mean, at the same time, you know, you're kind of um, hoist by your own petard there a little bit when it comes to Tyrone in, 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 the, in the way that they kill games and they slow teams' momentum. It's not just me last year. Absolutely. It's a recurring... Yeah. It's rec- like... Anytime I see Conor Gormley going down injured, I'm immediately thinking, okay, there's a very good reason why Conor Gormley has gone down injured here, and it's almost certainly nothing to do with Conor Gormley's <laughs> physical well-being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the past master at it, I think. All right, Mead beat Carlo in the other game we want to talk about by seven goals and 13 points and six <laughs> points, which isn't going to do either county much good in the long run, probably. But just on Carlo, first of all, only three... Uh, I, I, I'd totally forgotten that Carlo had drawn with Mead a couple mm. of years ago. Only three players remain in the Carlo team which is just a staggering turnover and that's because people don't want to play for the county Anthony Rainbow can't get his head around it he was, he, he was asked afterwards and he's managing Mead now of course he was asked how many players are out there in Carlo that you would have in the team and he said well probably around 10 good intercounty footballers who should be playing just don't want to play for whatever reason Yeah I was listening to an interview after the game um, uh, a former Carlo player uh, you know, a guy, and he was just—he was very honest about it. He said because originally it was kind of being reported that Murphy, Brendan Murphy, did, yes, who's, yeah. who's one of their best players for the last number of years, that he was away on army duty. But he actually has just taken himself off the panel. I think after three losses in the league, he said, "Okay, that's yeah. I'm out of here." Yeah, Rainbow called him up, and he just couldn't get him back. Yeah, and then I think there was exactly as you say, only three of the team that actually drew with me two years ago and then I think something like eight or nine guys who would be actually on the team so you're, 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 you're battling there you're going up a hill all the time Rainbow very 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 difficult for him um, and he's saying the commitment to these levels and uh, these guys but obviously they're not the best fellas in the county um, he's in a situation where the whole county knows that he's not getting the people so like uh, I read an article yesterday which kind of says does the does this does the structure and I know this is not what we're talking about, but it's something maybe for another day. But the whole structure again of the championship, like that game, does no team any good, Jesse. Mm. Like me, learn nothing from that, Jesse. Like I mean, even me were poor in the first twenty five minutes. Um, like I mean, I was talking to Seamus Kenny last night, and he was just saying, you know, we've one or two of us off the pace, but really. They can't like it, it's nothing. It's not even a confidence booster, you know. Even if Mickey Newman scores four ten or six ten six goals, you're kind of going well. You have to weigh it up. Carlo then go out the next day play Waterford. That might be one game for them, but then after that, they're going to get hammered somewhere along the line, even if it's beat Waterford. And that's no, that's no disrespect to Carlo. Um, it's so there's players obviously deciding well, where what am I going to do for the summer? I'm a student or whatever I am, maybe I'm going to head to the States, I'll pick up a bit of money, I'll go play in America, I'll get a job somewhere. Um, they obviously don't feel that you know, they're going to get one game max or two games max out of the championship and it's not enough for them. Just a quick word on Meath, Anthony, and we probably will pick up that Carlo conversation at some stage in the future, but mm. uh, Kildare next up for them, what do you think? Yeah, well, you know, they would have always focused on Kildare, um, 
they've been hit by a number of injuries, which is which isn't good. But apart from that, okay, he has Shane O'Rourke in midfield. That kind of robs the forward line of Shane O'Rourke. He'll have Brian Menton probably back for the next day. He'll go in probably at six, or maybe he might go into midfield, uh, which would release O'Rourke back into the forward line. Meads still have a lot of potency, you know. Um, loud or bad against Kildare, so you can't really. It's kind of like trying to weigh up two teams where you actually haven't got anything to judge them on. Um, so that's a very very difficult thing to do. Yeah, the Kildare form going into the Louth game had been really, really bad. It had a terrible mm. league. So, you know, maybe they needed maybe they needed that victory over Louth, no matter how uh, bad Louth were. And apparently they were terrible. Um, like the second worst championship performance after Carlo yesterday, apparently, yeah. that people have seen so far this year. Um, so, like, Kildare are moving a little bit in the right direction. You would still think Meath have, have enough to, to win that game. Though. Anthony, we'll let you go. And congratulations on working out your... DVR machine or whatever you're using there. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Thank you. Cheers, thanks. Hair dryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, no, he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. How are you coping yourself, Murph? TV-wise? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we should all give a big debt of gratitude to Martin Keimer. Who? Martin Keimer. What? Won the US Open this week by whatever it was, eight shots. No. And what he did there, right, early doors, Thursday, said, right, I'm going to take it out of your hands. I know you probably don't have time to watch the US Open, so I'm just going to romp to victory in an extremely boring fashion. And therefore, you're free. You can watch all the World Cup that you want, world. That's fine. I Don't worry. I got this. <laughs> you can watch your indigenous sports if you're over in Ireland. You can watch if you fancy it. You know, I hear that hurling is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you watch some of that? Because I'm going to win this US Open in the most boring fashion possible, and in one stroke, basically take out perhaps as much as twenty percent of the amount of television that I was going to watch this weekend. But of course, it wasn't. I mean, it was just twenty percent of time that I would sure. have spent watching other sports anyway. So I mean, I can't. I have not yet mastered the art of expanding time. To allow me to watch. Well, you could just get out of bed earlier. Well, no, there's no sport on then, you see. Mm, I'm sure you'll find something. <laughs> Listen, I've, I've already decided that talking quantum physics with you is probably not the best way for me to spend my time. Is because it a there's bad... probably a World Cup game on pretty soon, so... <laughs> I'm sure there is. is. it a bad sign that BBC were in the middle of introducing one of their games and Gary Lineker says, and don't forget another amazing sporting event is starting, it could be next week or whenever. I went, What? Don't stress me out. There's too much already. Yeah, and then it was um, uh, a Wimbledon. Yeah, it's, it's, and I was like, no. Yeah, see, Orty did it's the too exact stressful. Same. There's no time for all this. Orty did the exact same thing by mentioning the Irish Open. And I was like, come on, like people. I mean, I, it's supposed to be nice weather this week. I mean, I'm gonna have to get out of the get out of the house at some stage. But of course, <laughs> you see my loved ones at some point. Starts at like eight a.m. in the morning or something. You know that. You know that there is time when the World Cup is on, five p.m. to bedtime. And then all of the other time, you can try probably try and squeeze in a you know a job or a mm. relationship or <laughs> your parents or Read something. A book. Well, yeah, that's let's not go mental here. But uh, yeah, the, the golf is going to take care of four more days. Yeah. See, so, so you, you know, sometimes this is a tough a tough life we lead. You know, it can be tough, but we're just going to have to 
grin and bear it over the next three or four weeks. To reflect all the sport that's going on, we have got Irish Time Second Captain's World Cup podcast to come tomorrow and Wednesday. And that's not forgetting the one we already have out today, Monday, if you want to get a listen to that for a a reaction to all the weekend's games and all the stories there. Ken is reporting from Portugal, Germany today. You're probably listening to this. The Germany-Portugal game has probably been played. I don't know the score. I'm not going to lie because we're leaving to watch that game now. This is what's (laughs) happening as soon as we leave the studio. But Ken is going to be at it, so we have plenty to say tomorrow. We'll have that out for you nice and early. Uh, Big thanks for listening today. You can check us out, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, the Podcast Republic app for Android. And do have a listen to one or two or all of the other brilliant shows on the irishtimes.com. Sorry, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts is the address you have to go to there. It's been great being with you today. Murph, thank you. Thank you, Ron. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Take care. Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.